in this episode of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. I, I think the question that people should ask me and that I am asking everyone now is, is the motivational question because uh, motivation is what keeps us out there running. And what I'm really interested in now is lifetime running, as you can tell from this conversation. And so I don't care what your marathon PR is. I mean, I treasure excellence and I encourage everyone to be the best they can, but I don't really care how fast you run. I care more how many years you've been running and how many years into the future you're going to continue to run. And how are you going to do that? And the only way you can do it is with motivation, because otherwise, you know, there's no reason to get out of bed or get out of the chair or get off the TV sofa and go out and do it. So the motivational questions are, are what interest me the most. And I believe everybody can and should have different answers to the motivational questions. Uh, all of our lives are different and uh, we have things going on and people in our present and in our past that can be motivating to us. But it's really important to ask the question, you know, what what motivates you and what's going to motivate you? And how do you keep that right in, in, in front of you on the refrigerator or the bathroom mirror so that you're seeing it all the time and it's keeping you onto some kind of program? Welcome back to another enlightening episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Tamburino, also known on Instagram as One Classy Mother Runner. I'm an RRCA certified running coach, author, and the founder of Sanity Loading, a company dedicated to promoting optimism around personal growth and self-satisfaction. Every release, we bring you experienced guests, compelling research, and expert knowledge so that you can continue to inspire others through our sport, regardless of your pace, place, or experience. If you align with the message we are promoting through this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes that explore the notion that maybe running will help. Hey guys, it is days after the 126th Boston Marathon. I thought I was going to have serious FOMO not running this year, but Oh my gosh, I just had so much fun following along with those of you who ran it. So many of my friends had incredible races and I am so proud of you. Uh, I could feel the energy from here in Baltimore. Also, if you didn't catch the professional women's finish, you need to Google that up like pronto. It was incredible. Congrats to everybody who ran, the winners, and speaking of winners... Uh, on the show today, we have the 1968 Boston Marathon champ. He ran Boston for the 26th time this year and talks about his pre-race mindset and goals going into the event. And stay tuned after the episode because we will give you a recap on how he did on Monday. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. And welcome to the podcast. Our guest today was running before running was cool, or maybe he made running cool. He was running before the big running boom of the 1970s. 
Anyway, he's been running and writing about running for more than half a century. He's been part of the running community for so long that you can literally Google anything related to running with his name and find out that he's invented it, written about it, or done it. I've written and rewritten his intro multiple times, but I decided the best way to do this is with a little help. Let's give a warm welcome to our guest, Mr. Ambie Burfoot. Hello. Uh, thank you. It's great to be here. I am so excited to have you on. Um, and my very first item on the agenda is to ask you, how do you introduce yourself or what's the best way someone's ever introduced you? <laughs> I don't think I do introduce myself, but I would say I'm 75, husband, uh, father of two, a uh, proud owner of a lovely, uh, recently a two-year-old uh, rescue dog, uh, living in Mystic, Connecticut, which is a, a wonderful community. And of course, for running background, I won the Boston Marathon in 1968. I uh, returned 50 years later. I've run it 25 times, I think. I ran it in the, the terrible storm of 2018 for my 50th anniversary. I'm running it again this year. I was the longtime editor of Runner's World magazine. I've written a handful of running books. And, you know, actually, I think my proudest running accomplishment is that I have run the same Thanksgiving Day road race, a five miler, 59 years in a row. So that's a true endurance and health uh, achievement. Yeah, for sure. Is that in Connecticut? That is in Connecticut. It's just outside of uh, Hartford, the Manchester Road Race. Okay. And what's it, what is it about that race that makes you keep going back? Well, it was my first real road race. And, you know, we all feel uh, fondness for our first uh, real races. I always wanted to be more than a miler because I, I sucked at the mile. And I finally got a chance to run a five-mile road race after I had finished my high school senior year of cross-country. And it just felt like the introduction to a big, global, wide world of running as opposed to four little laps around the track, which I detested. And once I got a, a, a taste for the, uh, the big menu of road running, <clears throat> the varieties and the flavors and everything there, it just opened my eyes to a whole world of running. So that was after high school that you first ran that race? My first race was 1963. I was a senior in high school. So okay. I think if we do the math, 2022 will actually be my 60th consecutive appearance, uh, God willing, uh, in that road race on Thanksgiving Day. Is it a pretty big race? It, it's the biggest race in Connecticut. It's a twelve or 15,000 runner race. Like wow. many Thanksgiving Day road races, it's a real mixed bag. Uh, it's a real fun run celebration. Seems half the people are dressed in turkey outfits or Hawaiian lays or, or whatever. Uh, but it's also a very competitive race for ever it has had uh, a world-class field they bring in a number of outstanding runners each year so it mixes the two great things that we can get in road running which is top flight runners and competition and speed 
at the high end and real family participation in the middle. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, I got to ask you if you're dressed as a turkey when you run this race. I have never dressed as a turkey. Uh, I would. I'm not creative enough to make a turkey uh, outfit. And I've never asked my wife to do that. She is creative enough. But um, usually I'm happy to just be uh, ambi, being myself and going back and running the race that I've run every Thanksgiving. I mean, this is kind of seems like an epic year, right? This is your 60th year. You might have to, you might have to step it up. Yeah, I think it'll be epic if I show up and finish the race as I have the other 59. <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to uh, do anything more but keep doing what I've been doing. Uh, yes, it is a good idea to relax and enjoy every mile. Uh, I, I would agree with that part of it. But otherwise, I'm, I'm kind of happy to be a quiet middle of the pack, Amby. All right. And so I, are you still placing? I mean, in your age group? I probably place in my age group. I maybe have won it once or twice, but there are so many fast age group runners now. And that's not really my thing. I mean, I I would like to run faster than I do, the same as every other runner in the world. But I'm not kind of at a point where I want to train competitively to do that. I'm more interested in the longevity than I am in the speed or winning at this point. So that means... You have to temper your training a bit, be smart, do the cross training, take the rest days, and I'm not going for the gold medal every time I go to the start line. In 2021, Amby ran his 59th Manchester road race, and he won his age group. But according to a blog on the Wesleyan University website, where Amby was a cross-country star and roommates with fellow legendary runner and marathon champ Bill Rogers, for him, running is more about his physical and mental well-being. And being a champion is about persistence and fortitude and completing an impressive feat of endurance. He is also quoted in the same write-up saying, I always say any lucky dude can win the Boston Marathon, but you can't run the Manchester road race 59 times in a row unless you're pretty mean and ugly. I'm sorry. Try again. Excuse me. Mean and gnarly. <laughs> what are you running these days? Like how much are you running? I probably run 20 miles a week on average training for Boston now. I've maybe been up to 30, maybe I've hit 35 because I've done a 13 or 15 miler on the weekends to boost the, the mileage a little bit. Uh, my effort and certainly my pace are, are slow and low. I'm just trying to make sure I've got the strength in my body and my legs to, to go the distance on Monday at Boston. and hopefully to go the distance uh, healthfully without looking too much at my watch. Um, have you always been a runner who kind of runs by feel and, and doesn't look at your watch so much? No, I'm an erotic runner. I, I, I'm a time obsessed runner. I should say I was, but probably I still am. You know, I, there have been different phases of my running life. And, and when you're running at the front and you're trying to win races and you're trying to win Boston's and Manchester's and other races, you, you inevitably are, are drawn to a close observation of your pace and trying to run right on the red line and running against the, the, the guys and gals up front with you. But through the years, that changes. And uh, it's, uh, I always say it's not fun to get slower, 
but it is inevitable and the important thing is not to overly fight it because the people who fight it too hard i find often quit in disgust when they can no longer maintain a six or seven or eight minute mile whatever they're shooting for and that to me is the biggest mistake we can make because what's important is just to stay out there uh, the benefits are the same even when you go slower and the uh, what you get back from the sport is even greater in older age as you, we try to maintain our health and fitness while so many others around us unfortunately are losing theirs that's a really good point yeah and part of the reason that i wanted to talk to you and i talk to people about what what is running really about you know when it's not about pace and placement um anymore so what are some of the benefits that you see uh now as opposed to when you were you know more competitively running well, the, the, the benefits, in a way, they're kind of hard to gauge because getting older does mean you're slower. It does mean you got a little ache here or there or wherever. It does mean you move slow in the morning when you get out of bed. And there's no stopping that. There's absolutely no way to stop the aging process. But fitness and running and, and, and good nutrition do slow it a little bit. And, and the thing that I want and, and so many of my compatriots want is uh, to live as fully and as actively as we can in our older years. Um, when and if I end up in, let's say, a wheelchair, whether it's an accident or something else, I'm going to be a really unhappy camper. I, I, don't, I do not like sitting. And I'm going to try to avoid that as long as I possibly can, because I like moving through this world of ours. And at one point, I tried to move really fast from Hopkinton to the, the finish line in downtown Boston. Now I'm content to move pretty damn slowly from Hopkinton to Boston, just because making the journey and staying healthy and, and fit enough to do it is its own reward in that each and every day you get the benefits of, of that activity and, and the vigor that we feel. And uh, I just I just would not enjoy, not, I can't imagine not being able to do that. And is your family into running? I know you have you have two, two kids, right? Older kids and are they uh, runners? I, I, I have two kids from a prior marriage. My current wife is a marathoner about 13 times with a best of 335, but she's now in her midlife fitness and yoga phase. So she's not running many competitive races, but staying fit with a combination of running and yoga and strength training. My kids uh, like running, but are not talented at running. They, my son especially, is he's a gym rat. He's as he's as wide around muscularly as I am tall, practically. So uh, we do run together when when we are together. He's living in California now, but um, he he's in no way an obsessive or competitive runner, as I was and still am to some extent. What about for the Thanksgiving race? Does your family get together and do that one with you? They have done it once or twice, mostly not. Mostly they're happy to sleep in on Thanksgiving. <laughs> they're normal. They're not like me. They sleep in and uh, I see them later in the day. 
my wife has run it a half dozen times. My brother-in-law and my nephew both have many very, very long streaks at this Thanksgiving Day road race, as I do, but not my immediate family. Okay, nice. Well, you probably see a lot of the same people there running it year after year. There probably are a lot of the same people, which is fun. It's a big annual reunion, and if the weather's nice, we all stand out in the street after finishing and catch up on what we've missed of the last year. That's awesome. It's no wonder that you really cherish that race so much um, because the running community itself is one of the major benefits of the sport. I just think it's an amazing community and especially when you get to know the people, which I imagine when you were uh, first running, it was a lot smaller of a community. And the community was so much smaller than when we lined up at a, at a race, we would uh, practically know the names of everybody in the, in the race with us. The funny story that we all remember is that in the olden days, the best New England roast road races gave away merchandise prizes. And if you did well in a race, you might win an $8 alarm clock or a $12 kitchen blender or a, a gallon of motor oil and junk like that. But we cherished those prizes so much more than we did tinny trophies that any merchandise race, all the best runners would go to it. And they would have all these prizes out on a table when you arrived at the race. So you'd look at the table and then you'd look at the number of your friends who had come to the race and you could immediately figure out that you were going to finish third or seventh or 11th or whatever, just from looking at your friends. And then you tried to figure out what prizes would be left when it was your turn to pick for third or fifth. And uh, uh, we had a good time doing that. Oh, that's so awesome. Why don't they should do that? Somebody should restart that. <laughs> that's, that's a very so good fun. idea. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. I'll bring back a merchandise race with uh, yeah. uh, uh, cheap kitchen blenders for prizes. So on fastrunning.com, I found an article titled The Strange and Wonderful World of Race Prizes. And wow, you would not believe some of the unusual items winners were awarded. According to the website, on a popular Facebook group called I Was or Am a Runner, a contributor posed the question asking what strange prizes people have won. Well, here are the top five most bizarre, in my opinion. A toothbrush and toothpaste, a power drill, an ashtray, a hairdryer, and even a live pig. I'm fascinated and kind of loving the running community even more after learning about this unconventional reward system. In the end, the merchandise prizes didn't matter much. They're just fun to talk about. But we were, you know, we were each of us trying to be the best and we were each of us trying to do the best we could. And it, it was the race that mattered and not the prizes, but it, it, it didn't hurt if they gave you something after you finished. There was one famous race on Cape Cod that had like 80 prizes and 60 runners. So you get to go around one and a half times. You might get two prizes. And we, we love that race more than you could possibly imagine. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, my wheels in my head are spinning of ideas now for this kind of race. 
Well, uh, the funny thing was people outside of running held this ideal of amateur amateurism and amateur runners. And, you know, what wonderful spiritual people these guys were that they were running for nothing. And the truth was we would have given anything to be professional athletes and have somebody actually pay us. But that didn't happen back then. Uh, but we were, uh, I'll say kiddingly, we were greedy when it came to those merchandise races. We really wanted to go to those and pick up something of uh, $10 value. That is, that is the best story ever. <laughs> um, what's your favorite thing that you picked up? Oh my God. Um, there's a long story. How do I tell this short? Uh, Hal Higdon, another famous runner and author, came up to New England one year and ran a race against me. And uh, as it turned out, he finished first and I finished second. He was driving back to Chicago after the race in a car filled with three kids and all of his vacation gear for all the time they had been in New England. He didn't have room for a single thing in his car. So he took a $10 uh, wristwatch back to Chicago and I got the biggest, best prize, which was like a $25 barbecue set. <laughs> he, 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 just couldn't, he just couldn't fit it in his car. And I came with my big station wagon and nothing else. So I hauled away the loot. And I, I, I want to talk about Boston because one, I mean, obviously you're preparing to run it again, but I think that, you know, when you, when you look up AMV and, and obviously one of the first things that comes up is the winner um, of the marathon in 1968. Um, and so, you know, you're really well known for that. Would, would you say that that's what you're most, is that your proudest accomplishment or do you think that's what people think is like your best accomplishment? Well, winner of the Boston Marathon is, is is a title that one can be very proud of wearing through through life, and certainly I have been, and I, I don't deny that, and, and it's a wonderful thing uh, to carry lightly on your shoulders. I don't go up to people and introduce myself and say, hi, I'm Ambie, I'm a Boston Marathon champion. But in uh, in a few small circles, that carries some meaning, and I am, as I said, proud of that. Uh, I, I noted earlier, and I'll say it again, I'm prouder of the fact that I've run the same Thanksgiving Day road race 59 years in a row, because in one sense, uh, winning a Boston Marathon, as significant as it is, is, is a one-day triumph, obviously, but going back to Manchester 59 years in a row says something more about how I approach life and, and the, the focus uh, <clears throat> of my running and, and the things that are most dear to me, which is staying as fit as I can for as long as I can. The Wesleyan blog I referred to earlier in the podcast notes there are very few people in the world who have gone to the same annual road race for 59 years straight. And Burfoot believes there's only one guy ahead of him. By the way, I can't find this guy, but we are certainly cheering for Ambi as he pursues this next incredible feat of endurance. Uh, but Boston is special. Uh, I'll never, I'll never deny that I won the Boston Marathon. Uh, I went back and tried to win it many times after my, after 1968, and I did not win it. So I feel very lucky that I had that one special day in my career. Did um did your winning of the Boston Marathon did that change your life in any way at that time? 
At that time, it did not change my life because 1968 was the time of full-fledged amateurism in running and there wasn't money or fame or anything that you really gained from winning the Boston Marathon. You got a bowl of beef stew at the end and I was a vegetarian and am vegetarian. <laughs> so it wasn't a great post-race meal for me, um, but carrying that mantle Boston Marathon winner did gain me a career when Runner's World became successful six or eight years later and uh, began to get a lot of national subscribers. It was a West Coast publication. They wanted someone who was from the East Coast. Uh, they, they liked the idea of having a Boston Marathon winner on their staff. They knew from interviews and other things that I could, in fact, write about running. And so, you know, I got the job, which was the, 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 great good fortune of my life working at Runner's World, I've got that job as an almost direct uh, result of winning the Boston Marathon. So yeah, it paid off in the long run. Next, I ask Ambie about his current goals, how they've changed over the years, and we end up gushing over the great city of Boston. I've set myself a goal this year, which I fully anticipate I will not succeed at, but I would like to run negative splits at Boston. I'm sure I ne I'm sure I never have, and it turns out that something like four percent of the field manages to do it. And of course, the only way you can run negative splits is to start really slowly, right? <laughs> and then you have a chance of finishing fast. So I'm hoping to start really slowly this year, and maybe have a little bit left for the last uh, five miles, which are all downhill. If you've got anything in the tank. Uh, I'm not sure I can control myself that well, but the key aspect is, is just to stay comfortable, stay relaxed for as long as I can and see how that works. That's awesome. I love, I love that you have that goal. That's so fun. Do you always go into a race with a goal or more than one goal? Oh, that's changed so much over the over the years. But like every runner, I go into the race with a time goal. And, and I've been running for a long time. And I know from my training and workouts, you know, what my shape is. It's not much of a, a, a guessing game. And so then what happens on race day, of course, is the weather plays a huge role. And I have a good day or I don't have a good day like everybody else. But usually I can fairly accurately predict my finish time, it's tougher at Boston with all the things that happen there, particularly the, the hills and the downhills that beat you up so much. But um, most races, I know what I'm going to run before I, I go to the start line, but you still have to prove it by, by going to the start line and challenging yourself and pushing all the way to the finish. And so that's what I do. And, and the weather in Boston is, is usually pretty unpredictable. Have they said anything yet? Is, is it too early? Well, it's always too early because, you know, the old saw about changing every 15 minutes. But uh, some people are, are, are clapping their hands right now and envisioning a, a tailwind on Monday, the 18th. Uh, I'm not going to concern myself too much about that. I'm just hoping it's not a freezing cold storm like 2018. That was no fun at all. And I'd be happy if it's not 
80 degrees, but otherwise uh, being older and on the thin side, uh, I actually like slightly warm weather to keep me comfortable while I'm running. Yeah, yeah, I ran 2018 also. That was uh, that was something. That was I, an experience. I, I didn't know, I, up to the last minute, I didn't know if they were gonna cancel it. I was like, they, I couldn't believe that we were actually running. <laughs> But it was after it's all said and done, it was like one of those things like I, it was like an experience. Like, I'm kind of glad that like it happened just because it's like crazy to talk about. But yeah, we've yeah. all had fun talking about it ever since. But during the race, all we felt was the cold and the rain. And we were I was worried about hypothermia. Yeah. I thought, you know, if you got really, really cold, that can knock you out. There's nothing you can do about it. And I was right. I felt that I was right on the edge of hypothermia pretty much the whole way, but I managed to get there. And most people did. And we've been telling tall tales ever since. Yeah, I think the, the hardest part was after the race, you know, like the, the hypothermia and like feeling that. But the thing that I really enjoyed about that race was afterwards, like the community was so like helpful. Like I just remember walking in, like I was kind of delirious. I really do really think I was on the edge of hypothermia, but I was like delirious. I walked into a cafe and like these women helped get me undressed and change me into dry clothes and call my husband. Like, you know what I mean? Just like the community of Boston, like, and every time I go there, it's like that. But I specifically remember that race, like being in the worst condition afterwards and just how the community came together. And it wasn't just for me, like they were doing it for everyone. They were helping everyone get warm and dry and buying them coffee or, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of amazing. Well, that's one of the reasons we love Boston, of course, uh, the marathon, because the, the the people of Boston all along the course from way out in Hopkinton and Framingham and Newton and Wellesley all the way to the finish have been such great supporters of the race and the runners for so many years. And uh, uh, there are many things to cherish about Boston, but certainly the fantastic fans are, are one of them. Yeah, that's it's so true. And and you ran Boston uh, the year of the terrorist attack, and then you ran it the year after. And, and uh, I know that you had some um, some things to say about the community in 2014, about how um, I think that race was a really special race. Well, I, I feel, um, as I'm sure everyone who ran in 2014, that was the greatest marathon of all time and probably will be of all time going forward because you hope no other marathon will ever have to stage a comeback from the terrorist atrocities of the previous year. And so uh, we went to Boston, 36,000 of us in 2014, and everybody realized it was a celebration. It didn't really matter if you set a PR or requalified or anything. It was just like, we're here. We want to prove we're resilient. We want to prove that we won't be turned back by this hard event of the previous year. And the runners all cheered for the spectators like never before. The spectators cheered for the runners like ever, never before. It was mutual admiration every step of the way. And it was for me the most glorious race I could possibly imagine because the embracing ethic of the everyone for everyone else was palpable and real and made it a day to cherish for all time. Uh, absolutely. And I get chills just um, hearing you talk about it. Um, it certainly was that type of year in 2014. And, and to me, I, it's, it will always like remain like my favorite race just 
for the community. So I'm really sad that I won't be going this year, but I know plenty of people who are going to be there and I'm excited for you guys. And I hope you have amazing weather and uh, I hope it's a, it's a great day and I can't wait to follow along. I wanted to ask some questions going back from, you know, when you started running and, and obviously now, um, is there anything that you wish your past self knew um, when you started running? Any advice you would give to your past athlete? Sure, of course there is. You know, sometimes I wonder if I have gotten older and wiser or just older and stupider. Because I do uh, have a, a tendency to recreate mistakes I've made in the past. But the, the clear best advice I would give my younger self or anyone else is patience, patience, patience. Uh, you can't run to your utmost every single day. You can't feel bad about yourself on days when things don't go well, even if you've got an injury and you miss a few days. I used to be pretty neurotic and obsessive about my running. And there were times when I forced myself too hard because I so badly wanted to succeed and, and see what I could do in the sport. And I now believe that, you know, if you do 80% of the training you'd like to do, you probably get 99% of the benefit. And that's a much better risk benefit ratio than doing 99% of the training, which will 100% get you injured or overtrained or something at some point because, uh, you know, we all have a, have a breaking point. And when we're young, we think that the laws of biology and physics don't apply to us. And I had many years of running very, very strongly and thinking, well, I can just keep doing more and more and more. But you can't do more and more and more things. Uh, things will happen, whether it's uh, anatomical or whether it's some kind of overtraining, chronic fatigue, illness or whatever. There's there's a lot out there to fall into. And the smartest way to avoid that is to train a little bit less than you're capable of. Don't go to the starting line in absolute peak fitness. Go to the starting line and absolute peak health, which is a different thing and means that you've tapered and judged your training well so that you're feeling strong and healthy most of the time. I feel like it's not that typical for someone who started as early as you did to still be running. I mean, you started in high school, right? I started in high school. I had the great fortune, good fortune in high school that my coach, by random chance was John J. Kelly, who was a Boston Marathon winner and a two-time Olympian for the U.S. in the marathon. So I had the world's best coach just by chance. And, and what made him uh, the world's best coach was that he was not an autocrat or dictator. He didn't make us run quarters on the track all day long. He let us go run through the apple orchards and along the seashore and enjoy the natural beauty of the sport more than like killing ourselves for success and so all of those who uh, uh, those of us lucky enough to have kelly as a coach grew up uh, 
appreciating that the sport could be beautiful and fun and it wasn't torture, which is what so many other people experienced in their early running days, especially back in the, the 60s when most running coaches were the assistant football coach and they weren't people who had ever had any running experience uh, themselves, so they didn't understand the sport. So I was tremendously lucky there too. That was another one of the great good fortunes of uh, my life to have John Kelly as my high school coach. And uh, ever since that day, I have tried to mentor other people and advise people in their running to live the kind of life that Kelly showed me. Is there a period of time in your life that you feel like you were your best runner? Not, not necessarily your fastest, but like best runner or had the most enjoyment from it. Well, I'm I'm my best runner right now. I'm not going to uh, go anywhere, but where I am in the in the present, uh, running fits uh, neatly into my life. I don't overdo it. I enjoy it almost all of the time. Uh, the more of it that I can do with other uh, friends and training partners, the better. Of course, uh, most of us feel like that. But um, it's, you know, running is very, very important to me now uh, for my lifestyle and for the way I feel every morning when I wake up and the way I feel every evening when I go to bed. But it's not important for how fast I run or who I beat or races that I win or anything like that. That's no longer important. And I put a lot of pressure on myself when I was younger to run really well and win as often as I can. And of course, all elite athletes do that. If you're going to be an elite athlete, you're not running for second place. You're, you're running to win. And, and the truth is, you know, nobody wins all the time or even most of the time. You, the, the odds are just not stacked in your favor unless you're, I don't know, Elliot Kipchoge, you're going to lose more races than you, than you win. And so uh, it's, it's not an easy road to be an elite uh, runner, I don't think. But uh, it's what I did at a certain point in my life. And I succeeded a little and failed a lot. But I got a lot out of it in both cases. But now I, you know, now I can run for fun. I can run for fitness. I can run for longevity. I can run for health. I can run uh, just as part of the daily rhythms of my life. And that's much more enjoyable than being an elite runner, uh, honestly. It can be a scary transition if you're used to basing, um, you know, you're running, I guess you're running success on achievement. But if you can find a way to make running about more than that, um, I think that's where the real, I don't know, I guess that's the key to longevity in the sport. Well, yeah, and let me be really clear. I understand how tremendously lucky I have been in my running and professional life. Not everybody gets to win the Boston Marathon, and not everybody gets to be the editor or an editor at Runner's World magazine. And um, I, I know far too many people who are working in professions that they don't enjoy or not enjoy as much as I did at the time at Runner's World, certainly. Uh, and life can be hard. I was extraordinarily lucky, and I feel very, very grateful for that, and I only hope that as many people out there as possible can also find fulfillment in their 
running and also especially in their career and family lives. Yeah. And I mean, you talk a lot about like your good fortune and luck, but you're taking all of that and doing something bigger with it, which I think is kind of what our purpose is about is, is taking those, the good fortune that we've been giving and passing it along. And I feel like that's what you do um, and what you've done with your life. So um, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for saying that. Uh, it is certainly one of my primary goals, especially uh, for lifetime runners like myself. But, at this point, and um, if I can help anyone else, I know that they'll help many others also, so it does spread its wings. You know, running has obviously been a very big part of your life. You're a great writer. Um, I've read multiple things that you've written, and you do it in such a way that it's just like really captivating. And I'm wondering if you didn't write about running and if running wasn't your main focus like what do you how do you think your life would have turned out differently professionally i i think if i hadn't got the job at runner's world which was the big uh, professional stroke of good luck in my life i would have been a teacher of some kind i had been an elementary school teacher for five years before the job at runner's world my father was a uh, YMCA director type, so I might have gone into some line of uh, community fitness. But most of the other runners I knew in the early days in New England were, many of them were school teachers. And they taught school nine months out of the year, 10 months, whatever it was. And then came the summer road racing season. And every weekend during the summer, we were driving immense distances. We had to drive uh, 200, 300 miles every weekend to find the uh, big road race in New England. But the uh, 40 or 50 of us who were absolutely entranced and impassioned about road racing, we did do that. So every weekend in New England, we drove three or four hours and we saw each other in southern Vermont or southern New Hampshire or Maine or out on Cape Cod or in the Boston suburbs or down in Connecticut. And uh, uh, so many of those people I knew then were teachers. I, I would have ended up in teaching and stayed there. And then I, I loved teaching and I liked, I, I loved children very, very much. And uh, so I think I would have been a, a good teacher, but of course I, immediately traded it in when I got the opportunity to work at Runner's World because that was clearly a dream job. Absolutely. And I know that you've been an inspiration for so many people. Um, and, you know, I, you talk about a lot of you run with a lot of great runners. Do you have a favorite person that you've you've run with or that's in somebody that's inspired you? I've had many favorite people. Uh, through the years, of course, and the training partners that I've spent lots of miles with, uh, those miles are often become fonder memories than, you know, races where you break the tape and things like that. Because as we all know, you don't talk that much during a race, but on a training run, all you do is talk and you talk all about life and you talk all about the highs and lows and difficulties and, and uh, paths to success that you and your friends uh, have have achieved. Uh, I have to say at this point, um, and this is going to sound just a little bit mor morose, but uh, two of my best ever training partners have died of uh, prostate cancer in the last four or five years, and I miss them deeply. And I think back 
to the runs we had and all we shared and uh, all the conversations we had. And uh, I would give anything to be able to go out uh, on one more run with both of them and say uh, thank you for everything you've contributed to my life because we had a whole lot of good hours together. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And how lucky, again, like to be able to share that time with them and get to know them in, in that way. It's, that's amazing. And that you can kind of relive that um, and those memories. Um, I, I mean, I certainly get it. I have plenty of close running friends and, and we, I feel like you share so much of yourself when you're on the road. And I don't know what it is about running. Oh, maybe you can tell me that just makes you want to kind of expose your soul to these people. That you know, uh, there are a few theories floating around about that. Uh, one of them being that in the therapist office, the, you've got eyes staring directly into your eyes, and that's sort of a inhibitory. Whereas when you're running, you're not actually staring at the person you're running with, you're staring ahead to make sure you don't trip on a crack in the road. Uh, and so you're just letting the words flow. But you know, that would be a really good topic for someone to explore in depth uh, at some point and find out uh, a if you know what the content of this conversation that we all have on the run is like and how it's different from even conversation at the dinner table where you're also eyeball to eyeball. Uh, see if it's different and see if it is uh, therapeutic. It would be a good it would be a good study. But lacking the study, we all know what we feel and what we feel and experience is that we have great conversations with our training partners when we're out there. And those conversations are, are what bring us back for those early morning runs or the long runs on the weekend or even the interval workouts at the track. I feel like there's been many times where I've overshared on run and I feel like you need to give that what what I say on the run stays on the run kind of thing. It's like a <laughs> separate experience. Like we don't talk about it outside the run. Um, but yeah, that would be interesting to explore. And, uh, and, and, you know, I know running is not a replacement for therapy, but I can see the therapeutic benefits of it. And I think it has a lot to do with just connecting with people in that way. Um, and, and, you know, as runners, I feel like we just share something and have an understanding of each other. I don't know what it is, but I'm well, it's, for it. It, it, it's there. And, and thank you for saying it's not a substitute for good counseling or therapy, because of course, uh, people need that also. But uh, there's no questioning the, the friendship and the talk and the community that we feel uh, with our training partners and with the running community. And that can only, only be helpful. It's not the only thing, but it's trending in the right direction. Who, is there anyone that you wish you could have run with that you haven't run with? Oh, I'm sure there is. It's, there, it's not a uh, thought that I, that I think about a lot. I do think about who I would like to run with now today, who, who I haven't run with. And usually, because I'm so interested in, in the science of running, it's usually the scientists that I would like to go out on a run with so I could ask them lots of questions. And uh, I, I, a couple of guys in Boston, one named Daniel Lieberman, who's at Harvard and has done a lot of work with running form and uh, uh, evolutionary biology, and a friend of his named Aaron Bagish, who is 
essentially the world's leading expert on running and cardiology and other health effects. And he's co-medical director of the Boston Marathon as well. And a guy in England named Andy Jones, who I have never met, but uh, he was a great runner as a youth and has done a lot of research with Elliot Kipchoge and many, many other top athletes. And I think is one of the uh, top running physiologists in the world. He would be great fun to meet on a run and ask a ton of questions. <laughs> wow, because I mean, I feel like you are so knowledgeable and such an expert in the field. I can't imagine what you would possibly have to ask. What would you, is there one thing like that comes to mind that you would like, you need to know from someone? No, it's, I, I'm not a leading expert in the sense of PhD physiology. I have read a whole lot of exercise physiology and medical journal papers over the last 40 years. But um, uh, I, I would just like the opportunity to, to share the time with them to, to get a discussion rolling and talk about things like, you know, what, what is true about the evolution of uh, humans and running and what is just BS that people say but doesn't have any basis in fact. And, uh, you know, arcane things, uh, things that might not have answers and the smartest scientists always acknowledge that they don't have answers to all the questions, but I'd, I'd like to pin them down a little bit anyway and see what they would come up with. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I might have to change some of the, <laughs> the people I am on, that's on my list of people to run with, but I'm thinking if I had a running question, I'd be going to Andy Burfoot and I'm like, every, literally everything I Googled, you have either written about <laughs> or like invented well, you have to remember, I've been doing this thing that I do for 40 years, at least going on to 50. And I've had, you know, I've heard all the questions. I've had the opportunity to run with most of the great runners out there, the Bill Rogers and Joan Samuelsons and Dina Casters and Meb Kefleskis and all of them. Uh, less time with the scientists because they're they're in their laboratories. They're not out at the races where I see them. Uh, so they're near the top of my list. But I've heard a lot of questions through the years. I've heard a lot of answers. I think I understand uh, a fair number of things, but there's still a lot of interesting questions out there in new dimensions and particularly the mind and the mental health and the emotional questions that we were discussing a few minutes ago, they've really come to the forefront in recent years and they are much more difficult to answer than the physiology treadmill running questions. So that's, that's the big new frontier in running and a very, very important one. Yeah, I think that part is really, really interesting. Um, is there a favorite, most humorous, interesting question that somebody's asked you? Oh my goodness, what questions do people ask, you know? Uh, Anything they always ask, they, they always ask, what do you eat in the morning before the Boston Marathon? And they always ask, uh, you know, what do you do to keep yourself from pooping when you have to run, when you go out and run and, you know, <laughs> uh, things like that. And they, all, and they always ask, you know, what workout will make you faster? You know, all the impossible questions. Oh, and you What's tell them the Yasso 800s. <laughs> Yasso 800s is a very good one. Very solid. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, all right, so then I will follow that up with what question do you wish more people asked you? I, I think the question that people should ask me and that I am asking everyone now is, is the motivational question because uh, motivation is what keeps us out there running. And what I'm really interested in now is lifetime running, as you can tell from this conversation. And so I don't care what your marathon PR is. I mean, I treasure excellence and I encourage everyone to be the best they can. But I don't really care how fast you run. I care more how many years you've been running and how many years into the future you're going to continue to run. And how are you going to do that? And the only way you can do it is with motivation, because otherwise, you know, there's no reason to get out of bed or get out of the chair or get off the TV sofa and go out and do it. So the motivational questions are, are what interest me the most. And I believe everybody can and should have different answers to the motivational questions. Uh, all of our lives are different and uh, we have things going on and people in our present and in our past that can be motivating to us. But it's really important to ask the question, you know, what, what motivates you and what's going to motivate you and how do you keep that right in, in in front of you on the refrigerator or the bathroom mirror so that you're seeing it all the time and it's keeping you onto some kind of program? Yeah, that's a really hard question, I think. It's a hard, I think it's a hard question to answer. Do you have an answer for it? Uh, I have a lot of answers for it and, and some of them are, are just because, you know, uh, I, I want to continue leading the life that I'm leading and, and having my wife and kids and brother and sister and many, many other people around me for a, a, as long as possible to simple stuff that such as I know that it makes me feel better every single day when I do some kind of exercise. And I mix it up and I don't run every day. And I'm very well aware of the fact that my joints need a rest every couple of days for sure. But I always feel better when I've been exercising. And I think the mental emotional question, uh, getting older is not the happiest thing that can happen to you in life. Uh, it's not like being 25 and, and at full strength and, and vigor. So we need to uh, be emotionally resilient. And that is something that I think running also helps us with. Uh, definitely. And I think, um, I think to your, so some of your point is, I think your motivation can be different from day to day, from year to year, from, you know, in a bigger picture, you know, it, it can be all kinds of different things. It uh, seems hard to narrow down. I, I felt like I wanted to answer it and I was like, oh God, there's so many, so many reasons that I'm motivated well, to run. Yes, yes. And that's fine. And that's good. And it's, it's, it's totally great that for for some number of years it can be attempting to achieve a bq or or, or whatever it is um, but i'm i'm more interested now in the bigger longer term questions and motivations because those you know th uh, you live and you write about and you think about the, the everyday stuff of your life and at 75 i think about how am i going to stay healthy and fit and vigorous and energetic and, and curious uh, as long as I can. And so 
Those are my big questions. I think that what we've the the main thing that we've learned today is that you need to bring back merchandise racing. <laughs> That's like our main goal from this conversation. Our takeaway is we're going to figure out a way <laughs> to get that to get that started. Here's here's what used to be on the merchandise prize table that you don't see much anymore. How about an electric can opener? Here's me realizing I went from a manual can opener in my childhood to pool tabs. <laughs> Remember those what? little cheesy things? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was a fan of them. I like the just the regular ones. So you like, yeah, I but did yeah, too. I guess that was like novelty. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> so this is very important. How can we find out how you did with your with your goal, your four percent? Are you active on social media? <laughs> Are you going to be posting? Anything? I, I I'm not terribly active on social media. No. Uh, People can follow me at Boston through the Boston Marathon tracking app. Uh, in addition to my name, my number is 1968, the year that I won. But I do have a website, ambiburfoot.com, and I've got a number of things I do from that website, um, including stories about lifetime runners at one, another website and and right now and maybe i don't know for how long trying to evaluate it i do a weekly newsletter about all the latest newest best articles uh, about running and fitness and health and so that's called runlongrunhealthy.com and it's free it's out there so people can find me by going to ambiburfoot.com and then from there all right thank you so much for uh sharing your time with me today I uh, hope that you do well in Boston. I'll be thinking about you and wish you the best in that race. Nikki, thank you very much for the conversation. It's been great fun. And I very much appreciate your well wishes for Boston on Monday because I'll need them. <laughs> I'll, I'll be taking in all the well wishes from the universe yes. that I can feel. But uh, I'll also be running smart. And so hopefully I'll get to the finish line exactly when I should be getting to the finish line. And now it's time for final thoughts. Well, uh, if I'm going to leave you with something, it's my own personal mantra that I, that I take with me on the, the run and will certainly be very important. When I'm running uh, the Boston Marathon on Monday, I like to say that every run is a new adventure because you never know what you're going to find out there, but it might be pretty cool. And that every mile is a gift because when you've run over 100,000 miles as I have, we all know we're not gonna be running forever and we're not gonna hit 200,000 miles, but every mile out there, it's really a gift that I can still do it. I can still feel good about it. I don't have to look at my watch and worry too much about the last mile pace. I can just enjoy being out in the world, being active, being vibrant. I'm still moving forward. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up, 
but uh, I look I look forward to figuring it out at some point. Now, I know we're all wondering how Ambie made out on Monday at the Boston Marathon. So I sent him an email, and this is what he said. Nikki, thanks. I'm recovering well. It was the most gorgeous morning I've ever seen in Hopkinton. Brilliant sun, no wind, perfect. I had a smooth run for an undertrained old guy. I slowed by several minutes the second half, but I basically felt good the whole way. For me, weather conditions were near ideal. Even with strong sun, it was cool, dry, and the headwind didn't affect we slower marathoners. I hope to be back in Hopkinton next April on the 55th anniversary of my win in 1968. But I realize that every mile is a gift, and there are no guarantees in this life. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. Please leave a rating and review on the platform you're listening to if you enjoyed the show. It helps us to grow and reach more people with the intention to provide hope to others through our community. Finally, please consider joining us on Patreon. In addition to keeping the podcast ad-free, your membership gets you exclusive access and merchandise not available to the general public. Together, we can show others that running and our community will help.